0: And welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Supply Chain Podcast, where we invite industry leaders to answer your questions and give an in-depth insight into the world of logistics. Well, we're fast approaching year end when all supply chain professionals are doing their best to be on their top game as we enter peak season. November comes with Black Friday and Cyber Monday and the upcoming festive season. You name it, November seems to have it all so to dig a little deeper into the peak season topic and how supply chain professionals can manage it better i'm delighted to have dr mudazir global speaker trainer host of the supply chain show and founder and ceo of scm dojo he has a mission of helping professionals grow in their jobs and careers and helping in particular supply chain leaders to solve problems dr mudazir welcome to the podcast
1: thank you for having me it's been a pleasure yeah, you know, first of all, my first podcast with DHL Guys, I've been working with you for a long time. So it's been absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, we've been a long time trying to get you. So um, so welcome to the podcast. Before we jump into the questions, I gave you that little run up around what you do. I'd be really curious to know how did you get into supply chain and where did your obvious passion come from? Uh
1: great, great question, actually. I have a theory that most of the people end up in supply chain uh, by accident, by luck, not not so accident by luck, right? And very few actually taken as a choice. You know, when we're growing up, we watch footballers, we see engineers, doctors, you know, the the finance people in our families and friends, and they make a lot of money. And this is where you go. At least when I was growing up, you know, you, we, we we talking long time back in 90s, basically, right? Uh, so, but what happened I did my engineering right Um, no before that actually I did a survey on LinkedIn and I asked people you know how how you end up in supply chain you know and I did give them two choices uh, by luck or by choice and it comes at like 45 50 50 if you want to call it and I think it's pretty biased right because most of the people I know on my Colleagues, When I mean, they were like an engineer and up as a procurement person, there was a production guy and up as a supply chain planner, uh, somebody was good in shop floor managing people, they made him a team leader in logistics or something. And then they grow, of course, and then they realize they have to do either, you know, some kind of qualification to make it as a profession. But in my case, what happened was our first engineering in, in in Pakistan, Karachi and Textiles, one of the leading university yeah. entity. Mm-hmm. And I actually, after six months, I just realized engineering is not for me. I mean, i I worked as an engineer like, man, sorry, I've mean, probably lost, <laughs> lost my four years. But actually, not engineering always helped me to think uh, think through logically and, you know, understand the root cause of the problem. But then I come across this concept called industrial engineering, right? Or I want to do MBA as well. MBA was super right. expensive. I did, not, I did not have money. So I went to... I got a scholarship for Chalmers University of Technology to do a master's in management of production where you know, there was a lot of courses on supply chain logistics production planning uh, also on innovation topics and that's it so I thought I did that and I absolutely love every bit of it so you know I mean right. I learned my MRP during my my lectures and I can still sit down and talk to people explain to me the logic of MRP which was basically invented 1956 and what is surprising is a lot of people still can't explain so it is one of my favorite <laughs> It, it, it was one of my favorite questions during the interview, saying, "Okay, tell me the what, how the MRP works. Tell me yeah. the input and output." And most of the kids unfortunately struggle. So I, yeah. I do have fun fun doing that. And then I moved to Yuki, I got a PhD, you know, scholarship for Lancaster University, Magnum Technology to do my PhD in, in uh, supply development. And I also was working full time and doing, you know, it was a company funded PhD and the, and the rest is history. So uh, I love what I do. I think well, there's only a few things I'm good at in my life. One of them is supply chain. And I I absolutely passionate about this. And I share this passion with as many people as I can
0: well look you say that there's only one or two things you're good at you you're an expert in supply chain and and the communications that you share around supply chain are nothing to be um nothing to be sneezed at so um, two other things I would say, we've all made mistakes. I started life as an accountant, what was I thinking? Um, and the second thing is we have so many of our senior leadership team in in DHL supply chain who started life as engineers. So I think there's some synergy that goes with that, that type of career development that makes people perfectly equipped to have the thought process um, yeah, that, yeah. that works in supply chain.
1: Absolutely agree, absolutely agree, yes.
0: Amazing. So, so look, as an industry ex- expert, how do you see the future of supply chain evolving within the next year? I th- don't really want to talk about COVID, but you can't. No, we just no, can't help it. It's really uh, changed the way things go. But how do you see absolutely. the future, rather than the past?
1: I, I think COVID was a blessing. I see it as a, a, a big, uh, yeah, blessing for the supply chain community in general. It has lost, you know, it's brought in the the whole. Let's call it a problem into a C-level suite. When the problem is in yeah. C-level, that means you get more focus, you get you get money on the table, you get, you basically, you are, you get more permissions to hire people, uh, you know, therefore, it leads to how we can basically solve the customer delivery problem. So thanks God, I think, personally, selfishly speaking, it has happened. I mean, to be honest, I move, uh, that give me a motivation myself, so I started as same usual because I can see there's uh, enough entrepreneurial opportunity uh, to, so, you know, to solve supply chain problems, mm. and that's our, that's our motive, you know, how we help supply chain thrive, and I think you guys do the same, and I'm sure you have seen how the fortunes of the shipping company, logistics company, has changed in the last two years. So, so nothing to. I mean, it was a, of course a, a bad scenario globally, but I think it was it was it was turned out to be good. You know, the famous picture of you have a lot of waste and under the water. So the, when the water was gone, you can see a lot of waste coming out. Yeah. So, so with this waste, what happened is if you see them, I've read it somewhere. I don't remember the source. So, so don't don't shoot me on this. That eighty-seven billion dollars has been invested. Uh, in 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 the uh, in the startup world and last one unfair. So this is what happened when the problem happened, all the money from the investors or, or the venture capitalists goes into a problem. I mean, a lot of people I know actually, they don't actually work in supply chain uh, or they don't know supply chain, but they are doing the startups because they think they can solve it. I mean, good mm. luck to that part. But the point is the the, the, the focus in the So with that, uh, problem identification culture and the future culture, you, The innovation will be driven. I mean, I am right now advisor to four or five different uh, supply chain startups. One of them in Silicon Valley. They got twenty million dollar funding. I know a few more. You know. What they're doing is they're solving this whole, let's call it, you know, there's a famous thing, okay, visibility, velocity, variability, right? We need three Vs to work with it. We have to improve velocity, we have to improve visibility, and we have to mm. reduce variability. So if you're just focusing on one of the three problems or of all of them, that means you are having supply chain to get better, right? So that's like the, like the headline I can give to the problems we are solving here. And all the money is going into those startups or even the big companies. I mean, unfortunately, I have to name your, uh, you guys, of course, I mean DHL, and I have to you know, mention your uh, competition, Musk. if you think about it, they are becoming the integrated logistic service provider for that, for that strategic reason, because the, the problem is there, the money is there, the opportunity is there. So there's a lot of, kind of innovation going to happen. I personally believe uh, if you think supply chain is a function, if you compare it with finance or marketing or basically you know, any other, even human resources as well, we are almost a decade and a half behind when it comes to the merger of the functional knowledge and with the technology right mm. I have a famous picture where I say to become a supply chain professional or the good function you need three circles you need supply chain competency which all uh, you and me and the listeners have second is the people skills which is a lot of focus on your communication leadership skills you know so on and so forth presentation skills but there, there's a third sphere right now we need, all need to get better which is the technology part Everybody is hmm. throwing the buzzwords iot blockchain you know big data and all that But a lot of people don't know actually how we are going to use it because a specific technology have a specific application about a supply chain taking IoT in logistics, it's better on a container side. On logistics side, if you're talking about cloud, is better. Is better on the uh, on the workflows. If you think about blockchain, is better on the procurement side, where you have to control the documentation, smart contracts. So where we need to get better is to understanding which technology applies to which part of the supply chain, right? So come back to the question is, I see uh, they, again. I have to use this buzzword, but I can explain it later if you want. The digitalization journey will get accelerated right the yep. that the, the technology will come into the play to solve the problem right we will get uh, better in integrating with both upstream and downstream right using mm-hmm. technology Definitely. and therefore the efficiency in the supply chain will be driven
0: makes perfect sense i think when you we are investing a huge amount of both resource and finance into improving our data and digitalization um both now and for the future um and I think it makes perfect sense. It it has to. Uh, and I think, you know, with regard to um the pandemic, I, I would agree with you F- from Aversity, we, we have seen some real improvements in how companies are managing their supply chains and how companies are recognizing the importance of their supply chain, as you say, as a as a legitimate function in, in their business, right beside the likes of finance, HR, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and that, that has to be a good thing. You know, our, our mission in, in, in DHL is connecting people, improving lives, and we were really able to show how we're able to connect people and improve lives in the face of adversity, such as a global pandemic. Um, not that any of us would want to go there again. To get a bit more specific though, let's have a think about peak season. And and I read your blog, your, your article, uh, Three Holiday Seasons of Supply Chain Planning, uh, where you look specifically at Christmas, the Chinese New Year and the summer holidays. Now, traditionally in most things I read, when we reference peak season, we talk about year end. I mean, in my intro a moment ago, I spoke about November and how everything seems to be focused in in the peak around this time of year. Are you seeing the peak season extend, um, perhaps as as consumer behavior shifts online? What's your view on
1: that? I think, I'll come to this peak season air and, and the seasonalities of Black Friday or Black Sunday, whatever black is going on these days yeah. uh, later on. But I want to touch base on a story because, you know, stories are, are good. We all like to hear one. So why I said Christmas and Chinese New Year is a problem, right? Okay, of course we are de- lowering our dependency on China, but I work mm-hmm. with with I work in UK twelve whereas Most of my 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 work with the is European supply chain, or all of our best call it uh, component manufacturing. All the best cost supplies are in you know India and China. That means they are on, on sixty to ninety days lead time. So yeah. what, what was happening is, and I was uh, one of the plant managers uh, or supply chain managers with the in a group of eight or nine plant managers and everybody All depending right. on China and so on and so forth. So what was happening is that the uh, after there was a huge depletion of stock, finished good stock, or well, we don't have a component, almost a month after a month and a half of Chinese New Year, right? And I'm right. wondering why, because I was the one who realized actually when the Chinese New Year happens, right, they go off for almost two weeks off. Right. Yeah. And some people go before, some people come after. So the production ramps down drastically. So if you do not build a buffer for that, mm-hmm. that means you don't have a stock out before the Chinese New Year. Actually, you have a stock out after Chinese New Year because there is a production lag. Yeah. Right. And it has Makes cost sense. us a, a very, very poor. Let's call it uh, customer service. I.e., we don't have a finished good inventory to make or buy because we don't have the component to make or we don't have finished goods uh, uh, for it. So we, we, so I put a proposal in the following year. That was, I think, I remember this was 2014-15 to to my controller that you know what we have to do the stock build before. And he was like, "Are you are you mad? I mean, seriously, what what we got to do about what we <laughs> have to do with the Chinese near?" I was like, like literally, I have to do like a full mapping on his wall. Explain him this concept of lead time and understanding demand and how the two things are related. Right, right? to explain him that if we don't order right now in September to arrive the stock by December, that means you do not have a you know inventory to to make stuff in Feb and March for your summer one, right? Mm. So so that's what I'm saying. So any peak period where so so when we talk about peak period, generally think about variation or peak in demand. Right. Yeah. But what I'm saying is more about understanding the supply game, which will or the lead time game, which gonna affect your peak demand. Wow. Similarly, let me take you to the second issue which I mentioned. In the blog is the is the summer holidays. You know, you are as you know, European people. You know, I'm also a British passport. We 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 they don't like to work in summer. I mean, I, lit, I was lit in Sweden doing my masters. Volvo cars were shut down in August. Can you believe it? Oh, we love that.
0: to close for August. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly.
1: People, people, people don't want to work because the weather is nice, beach is out, you know, take your tan and you you and, and that's all right. So what was happening is when this was happening, same issue, right? If you if your manufacturing plants are not working, nobody's there to ship. We got we got half the warehouse on holidays. And guess what? We can't ship stuff. So we have to think about the contingency, how we're gonna ship. Then we lead to the the, the famous uh, Christmas peak. It, it's the same issue, right? When the Christmas yeah. is coming, so you have to do the understanding what kind of basically the promotions will be going on. What kind of uh you know what kind of uh, what product line because not everything will be in sale, right? Uh, where the peak will come from, which region it will come from, what product line it will come from, and you do have to have to do a stock build, right? Because here's the interesting part: everybody does budgeting, all the bigger organizations are budgeting, and they almost forget when they approve the inventory of the stock build that you have to have a higher inventory on certain points in time, right? Or you have to have certain more people in certain point in time. Like, right? yeah. Let me give you another example. Uh, I have a plant in Romania, right? And same thing in summer, you know, people in Romania go from, you know, for example, from all the summer period, they go to Germany and they pick apples. They don't want to work in the factory because it's yeah. just more money picking apples, you know, just a lame example, but it's a true example. So when it's what I think about the, the seasonality i say to people okay yes we have to understand the demand and the promotions and buy one get four free kind of thing but how are you going to deal with that right how are you going to do your inventory planning your production planning your manning both in your manufacturing and your distribution especially because you have you can make the stuff you can have it but you have to have a people to ship it as well right i mean you run one of the biggest logistics company and i'm sure you will see the effect of variation in demand and variation of supply if you don't have any people Right. Because, and that's, that's, Absolutely. The, I, I think one of the issues. So what what do you think on that? I'd mean, like to hear from you as well. So look,
0: it, it, it makes perfect sense to me. And, um, you know, I, I wonder whether we should be managing the peaks we know about, um, working to the peaks we know about, or accepting that peak seasonality is just going to be more variable than perhaps it ever has been before. Um, because I think you're right. You know, the, the things that we tend to, to plan for are the periods in in the in the world, the periods in our lives that that tend not to change. Summer tends not to change. Festive season doesn't change. Chinese New Year might vary by a couple of days, but is Chinese New Year? Those things are there, but there is so much more seasonality these days. Um, and I wonder to what extent that is impacted by online demand over yeah. um, over in store demand.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this uh, varies from uh, let's call it industry to industry and customer vertical. So, if you are an omni channel company, right, where you have your own own distribution through, you know, or you're selling to a distributor, and you are uh, where you get most of the sales. But now you're trying to get online, right? Yeah. So, this is very much contemporary supply chain where you know that you, how you manage your distributor and distributor stock, and you want to focus on your basically sell into a distributor so you can help them with the sell out as well mm-hmm. as we call it but the e-commerce game is it, it's 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 slightly different right because when we, when it comes to the e-commerce especially when we talk about fast fashion when we talk about you know any any home products basically live uh, you know uh, lifestyle business products right yeah. and that is definitely that is difficult because consumer behavior is changing and this is actually one of the problems you know some of the startups and people are trying to solve and this is where the game of ai will come in because in this scenario, especially this happened post post-COVID, I have to use this word. The consumer behavior has changed. How they purchase things, how they buy things has changed because the lifestyle has changed. Because a lot of people are still now saying, you know, I don't want to go to work five days. You know what? You know, just I'm happy to be this hybrid model. Maybe two days when I see my mates because I don't like my you know wife that much. So I want to go to work and three days maybe home, right? So they want to yeah. they want to mix and match because no, actually nobody wants to work. Five days at work. I don't know anybody unless you are in school or something. Um, So the implication of that is it's your lifestyle has changed. Because your lifestyle has changed, the the things you are buying is already changed, right? So there was a very. I'm actually going to create a vlog explaining the point of why the toilet paper saga has happened. It all down to the change in consumer behavior. Nothing to do with supply and the grades of 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 the of the of the of the the, uh, toilet paper. Anyway, so so. To understand consumer behavior, now we need to understand uh, where we can find those signals. Mm. Those signals do not uh, so our historical data, historical sales data, order data, whatever you want to use it to, to, to predict your demand, do not represent the consumer behavior, which has changed in last, let's call it 12 to 18 months, right? So, and this is one of the problems with the demand planning and the people or to to estimate what's going to happen in future, which is the peak season, as we talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so to understand this, this is where AI can play a big game, I think, if you're using any AI by software, because the only those less it software and the technology has a capability to go into social media or other social places and pick up the signals, right, okay, to see what's actually going to change in the consumer behavior and pick it up. Let me actually give you a quick example how it's also affecting b2b right so i'm just talking about more b2c supply chain but it's yeah. also affecting b2b i'll give you a quick example of that <clears throat> so it's a one of the biggest uh um, uh electronic uh white goods provider i don't want to name it because probably they won't like to get mentioned but they were uh distributing through in in midwest africa you know like morocco tunisia algeria that Right, uh, they have a planning region in UAE. They're shipping out of their factories into there, and this is how the other supply chain So that's fine. COVID happened, and their distributors could not deliver. So this is where we come to Amazon and say, you know what, we we we, we know you sell our product to distributor, but we want to open our shop. And this, the yeah, Amazon said you can do that. And but the thing is, they, of course there was some negotiation and stuff. But Amazon said, okay, uh, we we can share with you our data how you know people who's buying basically you know customer insight, right? Yeah. And when they start selling through directly through Amazon, and they couldn't realize that they have so much customer behavior information through Amazon. Because, for example, if I'm buying, I don't know, I'm buying uh, any white good, washing machine, right? So yeah. they know anybody who buy, buys a washing machine or any drill machine, uh, they can buy other stuff who goes with it. So you, they can absolutely. will so would be able to offer more promotion because this is when you go to Amazon, they almost show you stuff. Where you have a, similar to what you put adjacent, yeah, exactly. Right, you you purchase buy before.
0: shoes today; they're gonna offer you socks tomorrow. Exactly.
1: So, yeah. exactly. So, if I'm off, if I'm buying a, a, a basically a, a webcam, they're gonna show me the tripod, right? Because they know yeah. you can't use a webcam without a tripod. Things like absolutely. That. And that information is not available in our historical data. Yeah. That information is not available with our distributors because we don't think like that, right? And this is where Amazon is Amazon, or now people are trying to copy Amazon is because they have built this consumer behavior technology to predict that what you're going to buy next.
0: Yeah, next best products, next best action. Yeah, completely agree. Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, um, to a certain extent, I think we're responding to uh, to what's happened. We're responding in B2B to what we see in B2C. There's an expectation of B2B consumers to work the same way as they do in their real life with B2C, which is perfectly, perfectly acceptable. Um and, and only to be um only to be accepted expected. Um, one of the other things I was thinking about when, when when you were speaking there is to what extent is this cause or effect? Because if you think of the way people used to purchase cars where um certainly in 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 Europe Cars used to be distributed twice a year on, on registration dates. So you would buy your car in in September or March. Now the purchase of your car is very much dictated by its availability. So I wonder what that will do to to the peaks of March and September. It feels like availability starting to flatten some of that peak out.
1: Yes, Uh but i think it's a great it's a it's a greater phenomena happening not just the the supply part again i'm going to come down to the 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 behavior of people and consumer because i worked about four years in bridgestone right Mm -hmm. and i think two years ago one of our presidents came in into our you know all hands which we have air and like a celebration thing and right. he, he presented a very interesting research in a video where he's saying we know that as a tire manufacturer which, so tire means it goes into car right that's what we yep. do mainly you know we don't sell much to the the aeroplanes and stuff and they said what's happening especially in the consumer uh, passenger cars is people are buying less and less cars uh, because they want to either because there's a huge let's call it if you're in singapore or dubai there's a huge push on carbon footprint, better public transport, you know, if in London. So that's one reason, Um, one of the drivers, right? Second of the drivers is the push towards electrical cars. Not everybody can buy electrical cars. So again, you're moving towards that. People are biking more, they are more health conscious, right? Uh, there is people are saying you know why would I pay buy a car and pay the tax and pay the fuel? Let's do a Uber because I'm going three days a week anyway, and all my yeah. shopping is in and around, so I don't want to have two cars, one for me and one for my family. I just take one car and and then and do that. So people are buying. There's many reasons for people for buying less cars, right? And that less cars means there is a there is not there's a change in behavior in demand, right? And you and for me, I think that is a bigger concern than yeah, the makes flattening sense. flattening flattening of the demand, right? And the right now, you can see one of the biggest investors investments happening in this last again post Uber phenomena is the carpooling, right? Carpooling is one of the biggest. I mean, there is a one startup in I think UK worth right now hundred almost like 100, more than hundred million. It's just three four years old. They focus on carpooling. Right. Mm. And so people working from home, carpooling, more use of Uber, Kareem or services like that, you know, move towards the less, let's call it more sustainable transportation mechanism. And all of them are contributing towards less manufacturing of cars, less availability of the cars. Therefore, all the automotive companies, all the companies, all the businesses who rely on the automotive sector are looking for other ways to to make money right mm. and more of course the more, more money they can make i don't want to basically disclose the strategy because i know that they think okay we need to go offer some kind of product and service model or subscription of software of some sort so we can make uh, some more money out of that
0: yeah i guess again though that's that's a, an example of where peak is being impacted by consumer demand um rather than by availability as much as anything else it's, right. i mean the whole thing is really interesting and really dynamic um do you in, in as you as you interact with as many different customers and um as you network with as many organizations as you do um can you tell us a bit about the common repetitive mistakes you see supply chain professionals making when they're preparing for peak season what should uh, we avoid
1: one of the of the things is is Understanding the lead time. One of the most common right. mistake. I think most businesses are clever enough to say, okay, peak period is gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as we call it, pregnant woman syndrome, right? There's a lead time for that, right? So yeah. You need to you 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 need to understand how long it takes to get the product, right? where they're getting it more strong, in my view, is deciding it to either build the stock or buy the component or hire the people almost when the peak season is about to hit, right? Yeah, And that is the most common mistake. And that more down to a logical thinking, maybe lack of supply chain competencies or lack of understanding of, 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 these, of, of the supply chain works because... A lot of people come up with this problem of I have too much inventory or too less inventory. If okay, somebody asks you, what is uh, too much? I have too much excess inventory. If you keep going through five Ys and you go to the root cause, most of them are either new product or they bought product wrongly on the peak season, which never happens, or they bought it too late, or they ordered it. I need it, but by the time the product arrived, the peak season was gone. Yeah. and they're waiting for the next BC and so on. So, so the two, and actually the both things are actually lack of understanding of lead time rather than understanding demand. That's in my view.
0: Interesting. And and do you see any um any sectors getting it more or less wrong than others? Is is there anyone that's leading the game or in any part of, of the supply chain that's leading the game and getting this right?
1: I would be reluctant to give you a, a, a really subjective Reply on this because I I think I'll, I'm suppleting. I would be, believe on, on on some kind of uh, stats, but yep. based on what I am reading in the news again, I don't have any personal data to to say that, and the FMCGs or you know they are getting it wrong more often yep. than any any other vertical.
0: Yeah, and and perhaps some of that is to do with volume, um, because yep. they're right on the front line, aren't they? It, yep. It's a it's yep. a tough game. It's a tough and, uh, game right
1: now. Also, I think medical supply these days, yeah, is minting it like logistics. But they are into again the same issue. They got too much demand of certain things because people are getting more health conscious and things like that, and they can't supply right. And and we we actually I've got a few consulting clients, and half of them are a medical supply companies. Could be medicine or the devices, or or again this is the phenomenon of post COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know who was who was who was thinking then we need ventilators left right and center nobody was right but now it's almost mandatory to have those kind of devices which is almost considered as life-saving in most of those places
0: absolutely and consumer demand has changed as well I think perhaps four or five years ago um, consumers were, were far more um, prepared, if you like, to accept a delay. No, they're not. They know that you, you can get things very quickly. Absolutely. Um, so the expectation, I think, is has raised around
1: that too. And people, and, and this expectation is a very interesting point because people are willing to pay more for it.
0: The yeah. Last
1: example of that is Amazon Prime. I mean, they made so much money by offering this next day delivery. They built that function. People are happy to pay more for it. If they know they're gonna get it quicker and they're gonna get on time, right? So initially, historically, if you think what is customer service? You know, cost, quality, delivery. Now I think the fourth and the most important element of providing a better customer service is lead time. And I think this is where DHL and 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 and, and the, I think your competition, this vertical, have uh, I think is the biggest opportunity because you historically, historically, you offering a schedule, right? Okay, it's gonna are gonna pick up from that day. It's gonna deal with that, but that's like a classic way of, of scheduling. What well, I think you should go with almost like a parcel delivery model, right? If you want it quicker, it's gonna be expensive, and it's you know if if you want it cheaper, it's gonna be slow, right? Uh, and, and I think that is that is the way where all tra- transportation modes, which is both you know parcel, road, air, sea, has to go. It has to yeah. be that way
0: yeah and i think it's the organisations like ours that 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 have that breadth of offering um, from supply chain right through to final mile we we have the flexibility and we have the yeah. infrastructure to enable that um i wonder for some of the smaller players you know they're going to have to rely even more on um interoperable data to to enable them to play their role in the supply chain um in, in a way that connects perhaps to final mile suppliers etc um so I wonder if we will start to see some um, some merges, some um, some some of the bigger players taking taking more position in the marketplace yeah. than perhaps we've done we have done up to now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have a question for you actually before mm-hmm. we end, right? And then it's my opportunity to learn from a, a you know, leader leader like yourself as well. I see there's a, a big trend or big money investing in our startups which are cloud integrators or basically they are almost doing what full PA used to do, but they're doing it on a cloud, right? Either by having their own physical asset or integrating other three-pill providers asset into one cloud platform, and just almost giving a platform to manage it, which is from the booking perspective, documentation perspective, lead time perspective. Don't want to name the few, which you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I'm with you. What I, yeah, what I don't understand is, for me, it's pretty obvious, that you know giants like you should be doing it anyway or if if you're doing it then i don't know people like me don't why we don't know if you're doing it
0: look i think there's a lot that goes on with data and there's a lot that goes on in organizations with our like ours with data that that don't necessarily see the light of day Mm -hmm. Um, we try very hard to optimize that for our customers and to make that data available to our customers for them to be able to improve their supply chains um, there's I guess there's some work around the aggregation of that that data in a um uh, in a cohesive way. so we're able to predict some of those trends without necessarily um impacting any confidence around um, an individual customer's inventory because you know, as you said at the top, nobody would want that. But I think it is um, our responsibility as one of those big players to look to see where the big trends are in data and how we can optimize that for our individual customers. And, and, And as you say, I think customers are prepared to pay to get that insight in a way they perhaps weren't five or 10 years ago, because honestly, it did feel like if their supply chain was working, they were happy with that. I think our supply chains have to become more agile. We have to become more predictive. Um, That predictiveness comes with a a resilience that is a necessity now, um, not a nice to have. Um, None of us knew we would need that resilience before the pandemic, um, and now we've all witnessed it. It, It's an absolute essential need for the vast majority of our customers. Um, So you're right. I think lots of organizations, ourselves included, are investing hugely in the provision of data, um, in in the way we make that data available to our customers, not necessarily for them to do anything with it themselves, but perhaps to work with us to understand what it means for them. Um, It's difficult, isn't it? Um, Do they need to become experts in it themselves or do they just need to know where to find the expertise when the time comes? Um, And that's what we're working on really, trying to understand that.
1: Sounds great, sounds great. Glad to hear um,
0: all that. No, good. And it, it look, it's good to hear that, you know, organizations like yours, you know, you're you're very much investing in, in in people coming into the to the supply chain business and people being as passionate as you are about the supply chain business, even if they didn't know supply chain was a business five years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing I'd just like to talk to you about a little. We know um that the market is challenged with with labor shortage at the moment. Um innovation automation that's going to help with that over time but in the meantime we've got to build it we know that building out technology solutions takes time what would you recommend to organizations to do in the meantime where we're we're strapped for for, for yeah. human labor
1: yeah yeah is to is to convert or bring more people into supply chain right and people say oh it's hard to find talent Okay, that is also a problem. It could be, you could be a labor shortages or your planners or buyers or whoever, right? Uh, the the way, only way to combat that is build competencies, right? Yeah. And they say, okay, how we can build competencies? Yeah, because we, don't, we don't have a... Uh, the skill set mm-hmm. to build competencies or you know do we need to hire external bodies or the 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 funding for training is is super is super expensive and this is where i think um, this is where scm2 just is very much positioning themselves right so what we have done here is we built a lot of tools and 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 knowledge content which is the courses and best practices and guides right even the self-assessment tools so if somebody wants to know how good or bad they are in their warehouse uh, management right or warehouse safety you don't have to add a, a Consultant pay $5,000. You just come to dojo. you click on tools and there's a self-assessment available and you can go and buy and it will tell you, these are the risks in your inbound, these are the risks at your outbound, these are mm. risks in your systems. And okay, okay, how can I improve? And then we have a we have a tool and guide to tell you how to improve it, right? I mean, take inventory, for example, we have a course inventory, we have a guide, we have an inventory optimization tool. You don't have to buy a software for pay, you know, $100,000. Our, basically, Excel model or we are building our software as well for the same, same tool can do that basically 19 dollars a month. So we're trying to basically use this approach, again, digitalization part, is to get to get to as many people as possible, right? So while I'm here with you and our opportunity that a lot of listeners are hopefully going to listen to us, and this is our differentiation. So it's all about giving the knowledge and building people's competency within your organization, right, into a most cost, cost-effective way. Because yeah. most of the knowledge is in supply chain, don't get me wrong, I mean, it's it's is available if you're good in googling you can almost find everything on google but you need to know what you're googling right
0: yeah exactly so Texas, we're here.
1: yeah what we're doing right now we have put these structured information in a way that from logistics from supply chain snop warehousing even i have a course on supply chain digitalization if somebody says what does supply chain means and this is exactly we, we got a course on watch for one hour and you will after this one hour you will know exactly what you have to do and where you have to start
0: yeah, I think I think it's a good point you make. Um, and and like like we've said, as we've been discussing today, there were so many people who didn't even know what a supply chain was a few years ago. Even yeah. my mum talks about supply chains these these days. Um, and it's great that perhaps we can attract um, the younger generation, the Gen Zs and beyond, into supply chain as their first yeah. choice rather than perhaps coming in by accident, as, as perhaps you you and I have. Um, yeah. And I think as that happens. Um, as you've said, it will start to look differently at supply chains and everything that goes with it. I mean, wh- one of the things that we're very interested in is, is trying to surface the value of um, of having effective supply chains beyond the financial. Um, and I think that's a really interesting area that perhaps we could explore in the future. Because, look, the, the passion that you've shown today, um, supply chain isn't the realm of you know, mid forty year old gray people anymore. This is something that the younger generation can get into and and really build a future in with, with some passion, knowing yeah. that, that that their career can grow, their can their yeah. career can be varied, and their career can actually be really
1: exciting. And while you're touching point, this is one of my uh, again highly highly let's call it passion points. There is yeah. money now in supply chain. People yeah, get a lot of good salaries right now. The And then historically, if you think about, I did a post, but it went pretty, pretty wild that I think in until seventies and eighties, most CFOs will become the CEOs. Yeah. Then in the nineties, it used to be like the CMOs, the marketing people was becoming CEOs. But since the 2000 onboard, the the CEOs. I mean take Apple for example, the famous example Tim Cook was our chief operating officer, right? And it yeah. is happening in in, in most in, in most in, in the in the in the most organization that the chief operating officers are becoming CEO, but it's a great learning pathway, right? Uh, that if, if because the beauty of us is as a supply chain, we are in the middle of everything. We are we have to talk to finance because they keep killing us on the on the cost side because we have support yep. function. <laughs> yeah. We have to talk to the sales and marketing people because they're doing promotions and buy one, get four free or selling stuff. So we need to understand what's happening in the consumer market. And then we have to talk to production and side as well on the so we know we can make stuff. So we are in a very, very good position to have a holistic view of what's happening in the business, understand the business and contribute and become a 360 leader or a manager in the business who is in the better position to, to become a leader, whatever business you work in, you guys, supply chain people.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And and as we see some of the roles around supply chain emerge, I mean, a number of our customers are standing up, chief, chief transformation officers, and, and yeah. under that wing, you will have supply chain, not just to manage operations, it's a really important part of what supply chain is, but actually to transform operations. And with that transformation comes actual transformation of a business. Um, I have to say the most senior leaders in our team, um, the the ones that I find most inspiring are the ones that can have that strategic vision, but when I've been on site with them, they can actually talk at a really detailed level with, with people in warehouses who are picking and packing or, or our drivers who are having to make the, the, you know, on the fly decisions about how to get things from A to B in, in the most, um, the most sensible way. Um, and it's that, that, um, I suppose it's that range, as you've said, of skills and experience that will make um, the, the best CEOs of of the future.
1: Absolutely, agree. You need to know what's happening on the floor to uh, more so win the hearts and minds of people, right? Because yeah. if if they know they've got a leader who's, who's, who knows how to get the you know, hands dirty are going through the same journey, I find it inspirational uh, as well. Yeah. So you know, if I work with somebody who has actually the managers I work for in my career and I respect it the most uh, are the ones who has been through this, you know, through the, you know, through the letters and know exactly what happened on shop floor, know exactly how the planning happens, know our pain as, as a, as a, as a men managers as well, and help us and guide us and mentor us. Because I also worked for your people, you know, he was a sales leader somehow become a MD and he wouldn't care what we do as a supply chain. He just want his products delivered. Exactly. When, when his sales team wanted. And it was pretty selfish. I mean, in his view, I don't give a monkey's how you do it. Just get it done. And I'm thinking... Get the number. Yeah, yeah, but that just shows lack of empathy, right? And, And then you're just doing it because you're doing it for salary, not for the leader and that's a no, I, com- well. I completely
0: yeah. agree and I, and i think you know with with the rise of understanding around the supply chain you start to understand who are the people who are really making the world the world revolve yeah. um and it's not always the people making the big decisions it, it's the people who are literally on the shop floor um keeping the world's turning keeping those toilet rolls on the shelves as as we said absolutely um and that's you know if if anything had to come out of the pandemic perhaps that was one of the best things that the acknowledgement um that it, it's not always the big cheeses that that are having the biggest impact on the way the world revolves
1: correct Agreed. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Look, i agree look i know we're running out of time and we're fast reaching the end of our journey for this this episode thanks so much dr mudazir for for your insights but also for your passion around the supply chain subject matter Um, And thanks to you, listeners, for sticking with us until the end, whether you're out walking the dog or driving your car or listening to this episode, making a a sandwich at lunchtime while you're working from home. We're really grateful to you for tuning in. Um, If you'd like to explore more with us around other key supply chain topics, subscribe um, to make sure you never miss an episode with us. Podcast as usual is available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a review Um, and we'll give you a shout out. Thanks so much for joining us.